You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Today we'll be discussing dental implants, both screw-retained and cemented. Our guest is Dr. Farood Hakim, a nationally recognized educator with a broad range of engaging topics from high-tech to composite dentistry. His passion for restorative dentistry and education has been clearly demonstrated through his private practice and his teaching position at the University of the Pacific. Dr. Hakim, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Phil, it's a pleasure to talk to you as always. Yeah, so we've had some podcasts in the past and they've done really well and uh, we're very happy to have you back. And again, this is a super relevant topic and very important actually because there are very serious considerations about using cement uh, and some of the implications with periimplantitis, which I'm sure you'll cover. The first question is, what are the most important features of an implant cement? Yeah, great question, Phil. I'll probably just give you these in a bullet point. Uh, here are my summaries. Basically, handling. I think a cement that's easy to deliver with the right working time is critical. Simplicity, film thickness, cleanup and ease of removal, radiopacity, and a big hot topic these days, host tolerance, as it relates to biocompatibility, cytotoxicity, some of those factors. The relative adhesion that it provides, the ability to retain the crowns, and finally, maybe the aesthetic influence it can have over translucent ceramics. Are there cements that actually exist for the dental professional that have all that criteria? That's a lot of, a lot of bullets. It's a lot of bullets, and like most things in dentistry, there's not always a perfect silver bullet, but we feel like uh, both in practice as well as here at the school, we've isolated a cement that seems to check off a lot of these, and we're having good luck with it. Excellent. So tell us why are those features so important? And in that discussion, please include screw retained versus cement. Sure, sure. So uh, the, the first bullet handling, uh, you certainly want a cement that's easy to deliver, particularly one that doesn't clump up, isn't highly viscous, one that's very easy to lightly coat the inside of a restoration. Because as you know, when you're choosing the cement retained route, you often need very little cement. And there's a whole host of strategies on how to do um, kind of an abutment, chair-side coffee technique, different strategies to eliminate the excess cement and put very little. So a cement that's very thick and clumpy already prohibits you or kind of puts you behind the eight ball from the start. The next is that there's no preconditioning required for the particular cement we're going to talk about, uh, specifically it's ceramic or a bioceramic cement. Um, I don't have to treat the intaglio of the restoration, the surface of the uh, abutment or custom abutment. It's just very easy to basically activate and go. The film thickness that I mentioned is probably the most critical aspect, uh, especially with custom milled abutments that are by design made fairly parallel. If you have a thick or highly viscous cement, you're going to have trouble seating it. Often you'll seat it incompletely or the cement won't really have an escape path based on the forces created. The cleanup for obvious reasons, I mean, that's just a hot button topic these days, uh, especially with very implantitis. We don't want any extruded cement left behind. And so a cement that has a reasonable working time plus an expanded gel phase so that the doctor can then find the right moment to go ahead and break large clumps of the cement away that can peel back um, in whole units rather than crumbling and going into the sulcus. That's important. And so cleanup is a big deal, a cement that doesn't crumble. Uh, I mentioned radiopacity, and that's very critical. We routinely, after we use a cement-retained design, we'll take a X-ray. Now, that's only going to help us for surveillance with the mesial and distal aspects, but at least we see some of it. And so it's a good safe gap measure when you don't have margins that are super gingival, like maybe a uh, tissue-level impression or, or uh, implant fixture. It's important to verify that at least you've done the best surveillance you can. 
But the big deal is that notion of host tolerance and biocompatibility. That's the real compelling issue. There's lots of profound evidence these days linking periamplantitis with retained cement. And so I'd probably refer a listener that wants to learn more about this to a recently published study in the American um, Chemical Society's Journal of Biomaterials, Science and Engineering. It's going to be a lot of technical jargon, but at the end of the day, they basically tested four classes of popular cements, the resin-based ones, the RMGIs, the uh, zinc phosphates, and the bioceramics, ceramir in particular, and found that based on the ISO standard 10.9993-5, that the ceramir, the bioactive cement, was the only one that uh, didn't discourage the presence or activity of osteoblasts, gingival fibroblasts, and macrophages. To kind of simplify that and put it in layman's terms, it just means that when a cement doesn't discourage normal physiology and cell activity, it allows that kind of a protective human coat to form around there rather than to leave a surface that leads to chronic inflammation and eventually leads to periimplantitis or maybe bone loss. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, look, we're never advocating leaving cement. That's silly. But we know that it happens on accident. It's clinical reality. And so anytime you use a cement retained design and you don't have an option to use a screw retained design, and there's obviously, you know, pros and cons in that camp, I'd rather use something that at least gives me a fighting chance in case I miss some cement. Mm-hmm. Finally, good adhesion is important, obviously, to keep your restoration on. And more and more these days, we're using more translucent ceramics in the anterior. You would hate for a cement that doesn't thin down to a fairly transparent layer to ruin the aesthetics that maybe your ceramics use. So, the aesthetics are not an issue with the ceramere. When you do thin it down, it becomes nearly transparent. So I know that's a mouthful, but those are why all those bullet points are important. Yeah, no, that was very well covered, very well addressed. At University of the Pacific, um, are they using ceramere bioceramic implant cement? Yeah, we, we are. Not only am I using them in practice and have for a number of years on natural teeth as well as implants, but uh, as you know, in university settings, it's not just a matter of somebody picking something. There's usually faculty consensus and groups involved. So it went through a fair bit of scrutiny, and we had a lot of people in the know evaluate it. And so it says a lot to uh, to be able to claim that several cohorts looked at this and looked at the uh, available scientific data and said, hey, this is the cement we want to go with. So students have routinely been cementing their cement designs with Ceramere. We, uh, whenever we can, we do a screw retained design just for retrievability reasons, but we know that clinical reality uh, in implant dentistry never means always or never. You're always going to have to make adjustments on how to restore based on fixture positions and, you know, all the complicating factors. Mm-hmm. Is it applicable to talk about permanent versus temporary cement for implants? Yeah, that's also a good question, and you're going to find people pretty well divided on that. Um, it's different schools of thought. So my preference is when I anticipate a need for retrievability and the fixture position allows for that, I will typically go with the screw retained design. But because we know that's not feasible all the time, and often we have to make some aesthetic compromises when we are trying to do that, even if the mechanics allow for that to happen, uh, cement retained designs tend to prevail, and often they prevail in the aesthetic zone. So in those cases, some folks like the idea of being able to retrieve a restoration and yeah, you know, playing Monday quarterback, sometimes you would say, oh, I wish I could get that off, but I actually prefer to remove that variable. My preference would be to choose materials that are durable, do custom abutment designs that put gingival margins in the right place, use the right bolus of material or the right um, abutment kind of diameter so that any of these mishaps that tend to happen 
are reduced. In that case, I don't have to worry about, is this temporary cement going to come off? Because often we know with very parallel designs, what you cement as a temporary fixture, you realize that actually you can't get it off. But if they do, who's to say it's going to be when I choose to intentionally remove it versus when does it come off when the patient's just chewing? comes off, patient doesn't know something's there, there's no proprioception. Next thing you know, they've either broken the restoration or broken their own teeth, chewing on that hard restoration, or worse, swallowed it or aspirated it. So I tend to design for screw-retained retrievability by intention, and more often than not, I tend to design for permanent cementation, especially when I have a cement that I trust that I know is not going to have a bad kind of biological outcome. Yeah, no, that's a very good answer again, and uh, that makes total sense. I could see why you're teaching at University of the Pacific. Uh, you know your stuff there. Um, and you express it very clearly. So for our listeners, just to wrap up this podcast, Dr. Hakim, you use Ceramere Bioceramic Implant Cement um, by a company called Doxa. The reason why I'm bringing this up is our listeners really like to know what the KOLs are using. So you went through a lot of features and benefits and why you want to use it. Is there anything else you want to talk about that cement uh, to our audience? Um, and if they're using something else, and they're happy with it and they're successful with it, should they switch? Yeah, so this is, again, one of those um, cool products that we initially evaluated. And by we, I don't mean me. Fortunately, I'm a group, um, part of a group of KOLs called Catapult, where there's a good think tank of some 25 to 50 of us that kind of band together. And so uh, our breadth and depth kind of increases. We evaluated the cement, God, approaching six, seven years ago or so. And proof is in the pudding independent decisions, many of us have elected to use the cement fairly regularly in practice, whether it's for implant cementation or their traditional ceramere for live teeth uh, or natural teeth cementations. There's lots of other advantages for the cement. So if somebody is interested in something that, that makes very good logical sense for their implant restorations, and at the same time, it's a cement glass that makes good sense for natural teeth because of some of the building blocks and kind of quote-unquote tooth vitamins that it provides. It's just one of those natural solutions that can be pretty holistic um, as a cement choice in practice. Well, I think you've covered it as well as anybody can. I appreciate the time that you've taken to share this with us. And hopefully, Dr. Hakeem, we can have you on future podcasts. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much, Phil. It was always a pleasure. <laughs>